The CBA negotiations are in the news for all the wrong reasons. The owners chose to engage mediators rather than counteroffing the, the latest Players Association proposal, and the players declined the mediation request. What does this all mean for the potential of a deal and the likelihood of spring training? All this and more on today's Locked on MLB Prospects. You are Locked on MLB Prospects, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Yes, welcome on into Locked On MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby. Thank you for making us your first listen every single day. And today's episode brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online is where the game starts. So the issue here is the CBA negotiations. Last Tuesday was a proposal from the players to ownership, and the owners said they would respond by Thursday. Instead, they requested federal mediation. So the way that this works, the Federal Mediation and Conciliation Service is an independent public agency of the U.S. government that has existed since 1947. When we talk about independent public agency, think about things like the Postal Service, okay, Amtrak. You know, they, they're part of the government, but they kind of function on their own. They handle themselves. Uh, the point of the Federal Mediation and Conciliation Service is to mediate labor disputes. And the goal here, the reason it was created is to minimize the impact of a labor dispute on commerce in the United States. That's why it was formed in the first place. Now, the thing to remember here is mediation is a voluntary, non-binding process. So this is not the first time that mediation has been involved in professional sports. The NBA and the NHL have both successfully used mediators to negotiate bet between their players' associations and, uh, and their leagues. I think the difference between this and that is both hockey and basketball have a players' association, either have a separate players' association for the minor leagues or their minor leagues are included in the players' association, whereas baseball, obviously, as I've talked about on the show before, they're not. And Rob Manfred himself, back in 2019, described federal mediators as, quote, process people. Uh, they're not somebody who would recommend solutions. They're somebody who would help you work through the issues to get to a deal. So the players are well within their rights to decline mediation. And very famously, back in 1995, during the player strike initiated by the players, unlike this one, which is where the owners are locking them out, uh, mediation went terrible in 1995. And part of the reason for this is... And this is the, the basis of the MLB Players Association deciding not to use mediation this time. It's because mediators, what mediators like to do, like I said, they're process people. They don't do a lot of recommendations. But back in 1995, Bill Clinton got involved. And Bill Clinton actually pushed the mediators to suggest solutions and get a compromise. And so the mediator did what's called splitting the baby. Where in essence, you take the positions of everybody and you kind of split down the middle. And the issue here, the reason the players have declined this is the players have moved significantly off of their initial positions, whereas MLB has barely moved from theirs. You'll remember the three big areas that the players wanted to talk about was revenue sharing, 
time to free agency and time to arbitration. The They've already dropped the revenue sharing and they've already dropped the time to free agency. They're working on a limited adjustment to time to arbitration. So the players have moved on two of these three issues. The owners have so far been willing to engage in minor conversations about the third issue, but the players have not moved nearly as much. I'm sorry, the owners have not moved nearly as much as the players have. And so the players don't want to go to mediation because they don't want to have already been the ones who gave up things. And then from there, only get half of what their new position is. So asking for federal mediation is, it's really a PR win for the owners, right? Because you can position the players as obstructionists. You can say, well, we want to bring in paid professionals to come in and help us reconcile these differences, and the players refuse to do it. And the players' argument is, there's nothing to mediate if MLB's not making offers. MLB hasn't come back to us with a counteroffer to what we proposed, and we've been moving on things and they have not. Uh, the, one of the quotes from a league source actually said, quote, what couldn't be positive about bringing in an experienced and positive neutral mediator? And again, the players, the players thing here is, if we've given up some, we need the owners to give up something so that we can at least see that there's some sort of common ground we can then work in. The players have given up two of the three major arms of the financial discussions behind this. The owners haven't given up essentially anything. And we talked about this, I want to say two weeks ago, maybe last week. The concessions that the owners have made are very small. And they handle one specific part of some of the complaints. Like, for instance, the low salaries before you get to arbitration. But end with this change, it's part of a larger package of reforms. And so there's this initial upfront give to the players, but the overall package ends up advancing MLB's goal of limiting salaries, limiting compensation for players. And so that's an area where the players are saying even the offers that they've made haven't been substantive because the owners aren't losing anything. They're actually getting closer to their goals by budging on these little smart parts here and there. And in my opinion, you don't need to bring mediators into the picture until you've been negotiating in earnest and good faith and have reached an impasse. And the owners have been proposing these small changes to advance their own goals while not substantially moving on any of those three areas. So it's very difficult to, to buy the idea that, yes, we are committed to this process. We are committed to making a deal when you either don't respond to offers from the players or when you do respond, it's not with actual progress. It's just with small, tiny concessions here and there. But talking about concessions, um, all right, this is the time of year when I've pretty much given up on all my New Year's resolutions. Uh, usually, you know. February, first week of February, not this year. I am sticking to my resolution to eat right, and that is thanks to Built Bar. It doesn't feel like it's a resolution because I actually enjoy eating these. Um, if you haven't tried the puffs, let me tell you, you're missing out on one of the best Built Bar tasting bars there is. The puffs are the first ever protein-infused marshmallows. They're fluffy. They're marshmallowy. It's not just a typical protein bar. It's a treat, and it's covered in 100% real chocolate. 
all built bars are. I've talked about the cinnamon churro, coconut marshmallow, banana cream pie. These are some of the new seasonal flavors that built has. So go to built.com, go check out the hundred percent real chocolate bars. All of them have 130 grams of uh, 130 calories, 17 grams of protein. Just new this month, white chocolate cookies and cream. Go online, check out the regular list, check out the seasonal list. While you're there, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your order at built.com. That's promo code LOCKED15 at built.com. This episode is also brought to you by Rock Auto. There's so many makes and models of cars out there where it's almost impossible for your local auto parts chain to stock all of the parts you need. So rather than going behind, you know, going up to the counter and they're saying, okay, is it an LX or an EX? Is it a, you know, is it the XLT or the XL? No, go to Rock Auto. You can save time and money. And rather than get through all those questions and then pay 50 or 100% more for the same parts, you can just buy it from a family-owned business. It's been that's been serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years online at reliably low prices. Everything you can need, new carpet, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, everything. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in the promo box to let them know we sent you. That's rockauto.com, promo code locked on. Okay, so mediation is not happening, but what does this all mean for the start of the season? And I think we can say, so one, Spring training's almost certainly delayed at this point. Pitchers and catchers report the week of Valentine's Day, which is, I believe, next week. Don't tell my wife I forgot about that. Uh, position players report about a week or so after that. And before that, you've got to finish the offseason. So MLB has the rest of the free agents have to sign. We've talked to, whether it's Sully at Locked On um, MLB, or we've talked to Jake with Locked On Braves, like Freddie Freeman's still a free agent. Carlos Correa is still out there. There's plenty of guys still in the market that don't have teams yet. So you've got to do the free agent signings. You, some point in time, you have to have a Rule 5 draft. There's arbitration hearings to be held where teams filed, players filed. They didn't necessarily come to an agreement, so they go to a trial, and they're doing the arbitration. You have to do all of those things. And then players need a little bit of time. Once you sign the deal, you just can't go to spring training the next day. Players need to travel to the spring training sites, Especially if you think about situations where, like, you know, Yankees and Red Sox guys, they're in New England. They have to get all the way down to Florida and get ready. Uh, you have international players that have to secure visas. Oftentimes, they can't get their visas yet because there's not actually a starting date that they are going to be reporting. There's no work agreement for them to work under. So they legally can't get visas to enter the country yet. So the way that I kind of see it is it's going to take at a minimum, two weeks to do all of these things. Uh, you, I don't think once the deal is signed, I don't think you can start the season or spring training before two weeks. you got to give them at least two weeks. Three is preferable, but it's got to be at least two. And then you have to look at the amount of time to actually get guys ready. Now, the typical spring training of six or seven weeks – You've heard a lot of coaches and players. Brian Snicker made a big thing about this last year. He's like, it's too long. It's too much. Like, we don't need this much time to get ready. By the, the fourth or fifth week, you're just trying to keep veterans from getting hurt. You're trying to keep everybody healthy. 
Um, pitchers and catchers need a little bit. Pitchers need a little bit more time. That's why they report early. And so you don't need the full six weeks. The 2020 delayed, uh, shortened season, I think, kind of showed you can get this done in three weeks. Like at worst, I feel like not everybody was ready for the season after three weeks, but you were close enough. So best case scenario, you're looking at five weeks from the CBA being signed to the season starting, right? So work backwards. Opening days, March 31st. So you work backwards five weeks from that. Now your deadline is the third week of February to have a deal signed. So you're looking at two weeks from now. This is this is a Monday. Two weeks from now, your deal needs to be done. Now, before the deal is done, if, when it's signed, you're not finished. It has to be voted on and ratified. The owners have to vote to ratify it. And then the Players Association has to vote to ratify. Obviously, the owners, there's 30-plus people that have to weigh in on this. Players, there's thousands. That takes a little bit longer. So if you're working backwards and you're looking at third week of February, you really need to agree to it by the weekend or by the beginning of the weekend before, by the Friday or the Thursday of the second week of February if you want to make opening day on time. So... And the issue here between these groups and why you don't have more movement towards towards the CBA yet is because of the time frames involved in the view of the owners and the view of the players. The players naturally think on a shorter time frame than the owners because the players are involved in the physical aspects of baseball. They're working against age. They're working against time. You know, they they have a limited window to earn money in their careers. And so they have to prioritize, you know, it hurts them more to lose games than it hurts the owners. The owners are on that longer time frame, And by initiating the lockout action, by deciding to lock the players out, when they did not need to do that, you did not need to start a lockout. That is, MLB said they were forced to do it. They were not forced to do it. They have not, you, you, can, you can negotiate a CBA while still letting players rehab at the facilities and stuff. There's no reason you had to do this. But the owners have shown that they are more willing to sacrifice regular season games in order to hit their financial goals. And if you think about it, it makes sense because they're better positioned to make up lost money in the long run. The average MLB career is, I believe it was like 5.6 years was the stat. And of that, you spend just under three years at the major league level. And obviously, you have vested veterans, and you have guys who have been in there for 15 years, your Max Scherzers, guys like that, who have made big-dollar contracts, hundreds of millions of dollars. But your average baseball player spends less than three years in the big leagues, usually making big league minimums, so making six, dollars $700,000 a year. And before that, they spend three years in the minors, where they, as we have discussed on this show numerous times, are making virtually nothing. They are making poverty wages. I wish I was joking when I said poverty wages. They're making nothing. And so it's a whole different realm of money for the players and the owners. The players are closer financially to us listening to this podcast than they are to the owners who own the teams. And so... What I worry about, the players have shown a greater willingness to give because the players 
the individual player is more at risk of losing here than a baseball owner because the shorter window with which they have to earn money, the lower scale as far as they earn, their, their earnings are measured, if they're lucky, in the millions of dollars, not in the billions like a billionaire is, like John Henry is. Um, so I worry that because of these two distinct and different time frames, that this is what's going to happen. And if I had to, if I had to bet money on it, I would say we're going to miss some regular season games. Not thrilled about it. I don't love it. The good news is those of you, you know, the prospectors listening to this pod, know that the minor leagues are having a standard season. They are not part of the collective bargaining agreement, as we have discussed on the show before. They will have a full season. And matter of fact, the AAA season is going to be longer. They are adding games so that the calendar more adequately lines up with the MLB calendar. So they are going to be playing 150 games. We are going to be covering all of these prospects and all of these teams. I feel really bad for the hosts of the other Lockdown MLB shows who may not have a start to a season. We will have a start to a season. Hopefully, we will have guys at minor league spring training. We will be able to see glimpses of some of these prospects. And the guys who really will lose are the guys who would be in the show, but instead will be in the minors uh, because there is no major league spring training when minor league starts. But again, if I had to bet on it, I would bet we are going to lose uh, some games. And talking about betting, Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football continues all the way up to the big game next week. BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all your sports scores, your podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just football. Bet Online has up to the minute info on pro and college hoops, NHL boxing and UFC and then you can also get live real-time updates of in-progress games so don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing new offers available for the 2022 season because bet online is where the game starts so I had some people ask me in uh, on Twitter and then in an email about the antitrust exemption because they've heard that part of the issue here, why it's more contentious with baseball than anywhere else, is the antitrust exemption. So let me kind of clarify what they're talking about, what's going on, and give you some backstory here. So the antitrust exemption that Major League Baseball holds dates back to 1922. There was a court case, Federal Baseball Clubs versus National League. Supreme Court case where professional baseball was given an exemption from the Sherman Antitrust Act of 1890, and the reasoning was that baseball was not interstate commerce. Okay, so the federal baseball ca case was the aftermath of the Federal League folding in 1915. And many of the Federal League teams were bought out by their American League or National League counterparts. Not every single one of them, but enough where the league did not have enough professional teams to continue. Now, Baltimore's team was not bought. The, uh, the MLB franchise in Baltimore, did not buy the Baltimore Federal League team. And the National and American Leagues made sure that no one else made the Baltimore team an offer. And so the Baltimore team sued. And the Sherman Antitrust Act prohibits anti-competitive agreements and it prevents unilateral conduct that monopolizes a market. So they've broken up multiple companies once they got too big by the Sherman Antitrust Act. Uh, the two biggest examples, 1911, Standard Oil, uh, was by far the largest oil company 
in the United States. It was a monopoly and it was broken up into 19 separate companies. Most of those companies have been bought or have merged. And now you have ExxonMobil and Chevron. Those, like, those are the two big children from the Standard Oil um, breakup. But think about how big ExxonMobil and Chevron are. Those were the same company. Like That's how big the market share was for Standard Oil. So they got broken up. 1982, uh, Standard Bell was broken up into AT&T and seven regional companies to handle telephone service. AT&T kept the long distance stuff. And then all of the, the smaller companies called Baby Bells, since the parent company was Standard Bell, the Baby Bells kept local telephone service. So like there was a Northeast, you know, that, that covered the New York area, stuff like that. A lot of those companies have, again, merged and consolidated. Now you have AT&T got some of them. Verizon came out of that whole deal. Verizon was like, it was Bell South and then... Somebody else came in and now it's Verizon and then Quest, which has really kind of specialized in the hardware versus the uh, the telephone service. So they kind of took some of the hardware stuff from, stand, uh, from Standard Bell. But so the Sherman Antitrust Act can break things up, but there was an exemption given to MLB. Now, um, Flood versus Kuhn is really interesting. So this is Philly's outfielder, Kurt Flood. He challenged the reserve clause that in essence said you are attached to the team that, that drafts you until you retire. Like that is, they own all the rights to you and they can trade you however they want. They can do whatever they want in essence. And he was traded to the Phillies, didn't want to play for the Phillies. And so he challenged the reserve clause. He sat out of baseball for a year, filed the lawsuit. And in that court case, the Supreme Court said, okay, we'll, Let's correct this. Baseball is interstate commerce. You cross state lines to play. It is a larger business than just a state. But Congress needs to be the ones to modify or end this exemption. And this comes from this concept in, in, in the legal world called stare decisis, where the previous ruling is binding. And we're not going to go back and, and change that previous ruling. That precedent that we set is going to stay unless Congress passes legislation to address that situation. So that is the fact that baseball has that antitrust exemption means they can unilaterally set terms for the minor leagues. They can say, this is who is allowed to be affiliated with an MLB team and who is not. This is the pay that everybody gets. They can do that because they are not required to allow minor league teams to negotiate back and forth and players to negotiate to get better deals. They are allowed to collude to suppress the salaries because they are not required to follow the rules of the Antitrust Act. And then in 2018, they passed what's called the Save America's Pastime Act. And what that meant was that minor league players are not subject to the Fair Labor Standards Act. This is the law that all of us answer to. Uh, that discusses overtime, discusses what minimum wage is, talks about getting paid for all the time that you work. And so because they decided that made, that minor league players, Congress decided minor league players were not uh, subject to the Fair Labor Standards Act, uh, minor league players are not eligible for overtime. They work more, to, more than 40 hours a week. They're not eligible for minimum wage protections. And they're not 
required to be paid in spring training. And in essence, this kind of codifies in law the argument that baseball always had that minor league baseball is not a job. It's a short-term seasonal apprenticeship. That was that was the standard and how baseball presented it and argued the situation. This law codified that. It's been introduced multiple times. It never went anywhere. And in 2018, it was crammed into like a 2,000-page spending bill. And it was like one page crammed in a 2,000-page spending bill that was required to be passed to keep the government funded. And it slipped through. And so now it's law. And we've seen both parties in Congress kind of talk about the antitrust exemption and the minor leagues as the status quo is not okay. We've seen Bernie Sanders criticize minor league salaries. He criticized the contraction of the minor leagues back when they were consolidating the minor leagues a few years ago and and limiting who had player development licenses. And he talked about Congress needs to revisit the antitrust exemption. We saw uh, Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley from the other party criticize the antitrust exemption when it came to MLB's decision to remove the All-Star game out of Atlanta. And again, they also said we probably should address the antitrust exemption. So there's momentum on both sides to to acknowledge the antitrust exemption is not, wait, it should not be there. MLB should not have one. The NFL doesn't, NBA doesn't, NHL doesn't. No other team sport in the country has one. Uh, A lot of other countries like European soccer, oftentimes places there, they've also no longer been allowed to get out from underneath those countries' um, antitrust laws. So there's been discussion in Congress, and I think what we don't necessarily know is what would happen to the minor leagues if it's gone. That's a much bigger conversation. I don't quite know exactly what would happen. Uh, I am looking for uh, a, um, a sports law expert or you know a sports economist to kind of say, hey, if the antitrust exemption was gone, what would that look like? So stay tuned for that. I'm trying to find somebody who can help us with that. And if you have ideas for the show of things that you want to hear covered, antitrust exemption, you know, whatever else it may be, you can follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Farm. You can tweet at me on Twitter. I'm at Crosby Baseball. Or you can send us an email, LockedOnMLBProspects at gmail.com. I do want to thank you for making Locked On MLB Prospects your first listen every single day. We're free and available daily on all platforms. Coming up this week, We've got an SEC baseball preview with Chris Gordy of Locked on SEC. We've got a rookie of the year draft. We're, we're covering some of the can't miss prospects that you have to watch this season. But in the meantime, today's second listen is Locked on Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked on Bets hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. This has been Locked on MLB Prospects.